play the guitar and try to sing, lead the singing at the same time. If anybody led in prayer, I had to lead in prayer. Uh, and usually I preach to Ellis and the kids. So uh, I'm glad all of y'all are here this morning is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so we don't have to do it all. Brother Steve was doing it all this morning. I appreciate his willingness to do that. Uh, God, God's so good to us, isn't he? Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Um, I appreciate all of you folks coming out on a holiday weekend. I know we say that. But you'll never know just really how much of a blessing it is to have faithful people of God that are willing to take time for God even when there are other things going on. Obviously, we understand there are a lot of people that have to be traveling. There are, we've got a lot of people that are out sick today, and so be praying for them, if you will. But uh, our first allegiance, I believe, is to our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is his day. This is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God has commanded us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so I appreciate your faithfulness in being here, and I'm praying that God will bless you for being here. And I want you to know I've already been blessed because you are here, all right? And so we got that. Uh, Psalm 33, I want to start in verse number 12. If you found the passage, please stand with me, if you would, in reverence to the Word of God. Psalm 33, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says this, and this is a familiar passage of Scripture to many. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, and he beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fasteneth their hearts alike, he considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us once again to your house today. We thank you for the faithfulness of your word. We thank you for the faithful presence of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that there you are in the midst of them. And I pray that today you would be the central focus of all of our attention, that we would not exalt one individual over another, but rather that we would exalt you. And, Lord, that we would recognize the power of your redemption. We would recognize the transformed nature that you've placed within us. And, Lord, we'd recognize that if there's anything good in us, in our homes or in our nation, it is because you put it there. And I pray, Father, that you would draw our attention back to yourself. Help us to recognize that if there's a failing in our nation today, it is oftentimes laid at the doorstep of we who are believers, of us who are believers, because we've not been faithful in doing what we ought to do to make sure the world knows about you. Lord, mostly today I want to ask you to guide our thoughts. Help us to focus our attention on you. Help us to celebrate your goodness in our nation. Lord, in doing so, help us never forget to whom our allegiance is truly owed. As your vessel this morning, I ask once again for forgiveness of sins. I ask for your anointing. I pray that your word would go forth with power, with boldness, with clarity. 
that everyone that is here would understand. I pray that you would anoint the hearts of those that hear, that they would respond in obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. I want to begin this morning by saying happy anniversary to the United States of America. Obviously, this is not the 4th of July, but this is the, this is the weekend when everybody is preparing. I, I love how it works on some of these national holidays. It doesn't make any difference. I always often wonder, what do they do if it falls on Wednesday, right? If it falls on Monday or Tuesday, then the, holiday, the weekend is the weekend before. If it falls on Thursday or Friday, then it's the weekend after. Uh, but what happens if it falls on Wednesday? Uh, we'll find out maybe in a year or two, right? Uh, but the point is, obviously, that this is the holiday weekend. As many know it, it's the, it's the time when we celebrate, we remember the anniversary of uh, the birth, if you will, of our great nation. This is the, the day or the, the weekend when we remember the lofty ideals upon which our great nation was founded, the sacrifices of all of those who have played a part in giving us the freedoms that we have and who have enabled us to keep them for these 240-plus years. God is so good to us, and we need to recognize his goodness. Now, by the way, if you are, if you are not uh, of the United States of America this morning, this is not your birthplace, please forgive us as we indulge a little bit today. Uh, because we're celebrating the goodness of our God and allowing us to be part of a nation here. And many of you have come from uh, other places in the world where you have similar liberties to ours. And we thank, thankfully, obviously, thank God for your liberties as well. Some may have come from places where they don't have the liberties that we have. And you're recognizing that this is a great gift of God. But the point that I want to make today is that we are grateful to the God of heaven, to our Lord Jesus Christ, for without him... There is truly no liberty of any kind. No one who looks honestly and objectively at our nation today or at its history can deny that she has experienced a special measure of divine favor and blessing. We are where we are today, and and I have to be honest with you, I believe personally, uh, just from observation and being around a little while, I I really think that... uh, and I have to say this very very carefully, very tongue-in-cheek. You folks understand I, I love the country that God has given to me. I, I, there, I make no apologies for our nation. But I, I just have to say that she's not as great as she once was. And I believe the reason for that is because of forsaking of the principles. We're, we're turning away from the God of our fathers. If there's greatness in America, the greatness is due directly to our God. And we're grateful to Him. No one who looks honestly at our history can say that we've attained the greatness that we have attained on our own strength. There's never been a nation so richly blessed for such a long time as ours. With the possible exception of Old Testament Israel... And we will allude to them a little bit as we go through the message this morning. By the measure of normal history, our nation is still a relatively young nation. A little less than 200 years. The United States of America rose to prominence in the world and has continued there for more than half a century. Actually getting close to three quarters of a century now at a level of prominence in the world. In today's world, the argument has been made that our nation, our nation is the only superpower left on earth. The question is, how did that come about? Is it because of liberal or conservative political philosophies? 
I think not. Perhaps it's because we've embraced capitalism, or more recently, in increasing levels of socialism. Again, that can never explain what's happened in our nation. Is it because we've been rich or have honored the poor or have a great work ethic or are wise in our behavior toward other nations? Now, by the way, in all of those areas, I have some pretty strong opinions, and I would be glad to share them with you on a one-to-one basis. But what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that none of them can explain what has happened here in this nation uh, on this globe that God has placed us in. The only explanation for America's greatness is the great blessing of Almighty God. Now, while we're richly blessed, we do not have the promise it will always be so. We don't know that God... Listen, I fully believe in my heart that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing very near. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is going to come in my lifetime. But if he doesn't, understand the Lord doesn't give us the day or the hour. He doesn't tell us when he is going to come again. If the Lord, by chance, should not come during my lifetime, What kind of a legacy am I leaving to those generations that follow? And where we stand if the Lord should tarry His coming? I want you to understand, folks, that God's blessing has been on America because we have honored God. But at the same time, when we cease to honor God, God can always bless someplace else. And He's done it over and over again throughout history. He can rise up, raise up another nation that will do the work that He has anointed us for these past 200-some years, 241, if you want to be precise, years. Uh, to do. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that I believe that in order uh, to keep that from happening, we need to wake up and realize the true source of greatness and the factors that go to creating and maintaining it. Those factors obviously come from the Word of God. So I'm going to invite you this morning to consider with me for a few moments factors of greatness, especially talking about the anniversary of the birth of the United States of America. And I believe that there are three factors. Obviously, there are other, but I've kind of distilled it down for the, for the sake or the purpose of this morning's message to three specific factors that create greatness in any people that will employ them. The first one, and the most obvious, I believe, is the direct blessing of God. Go back to Psalm 33 and verse 12. The Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Psalm 144 and verse 15 says a very similar thing. Happy is that people. That is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. One of the unique uh, distinguishing marks, if you will, of Old Testament Israel was that they were the only nation on the face of the earth who intentionally and on purpose identified themselves with the Almighty God, the Creator of all things. You understand that throughout history, polytheism has been prominent in most of the world. People have worshipped many gods. They've followed after many pagan uh, idols of all kinds, and uh, nations have risen and fallen on the backbones of these uh, idols. And yet throughout Old Testament history, from the calling of Abraham all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ, the people of Israel was a people who identified themselves with God. Now, I want to hasten to say they didn't always do a good job of it. But nonetheless, they were identified with his name. 
And so God reminds them over and over again that their position of blessedness came about because of their identification with his name. I want you to understand, if we can, by application, where we stand today. We occupy the position or a position of blessedness. This is not to say that there are not other nations on the earth that are blessed of God. But it is to say, and I believe it with all of my heart, that we are probably the most blessed of all nations. God has given us greater opportunity. But by the way, to whom much is given, much is also required. And so we we understand our position of blessedness as we're looking at the Psalms. The 33rd Psalm, lest anybody jump to the conclusion that preacher is taking that passage out of its context, I want you to understand I know what the context is, okay? I know that this is a psalm uh, referring specifically to the people of Israel. I know that it is messianic in its nature. It is, it is kingdom-oriented. It's looking forward to the time when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth over the people of Israel and through them the peoples of the world. I understand all of that. I hope you understand it as well. But at the same time, I understand that God put it in the Scriptures. He put it in the Bible so that we can learn from it the direct, excuse me, the direct interpretation, but also the application. And if we look at it, we see that there are many applications to us as a people. That which made Israel blessed was the fact that God was their Lord, that they recognized Him as such. Now it was up and down. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they were acknowledging Him as their as their uh, Savior, as their guide, as their help, as their strength. And other times they were following after the Balaam, the false gods of the land that they dwelt in. They were committing spiritual adultery and so forth. And we know the the cyclical nature of the the, uh, history of the people of Israel. But God did two things through them. Number one, obviously, he sent through them the Scriptures and the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But also he did through them give all the nations of the world an example that if they would follow, they could experience the direct blessings that come as a result of identifying with the God of heaven. Now let me try to explain to you what I mean. The reason Israel was blessed was because God was his Lord. God in the scriptures applies that same blessing to those who will consistently honor God as their Lord. Now, anybody that is honest, and I'm going to say this very bluntly, and pardon me if I offend you, it is not my intention, but anybody who will read history honestly, if you'll read the documents of our founding fathers, if you'll read the documents upon which our very government is faced, there's a strong recognition throughout all of that of the operation or the providence of God, what God himself, the God of heaven, the creator of the world, has done. Now, by the way, this is free. It doesn't cost you a thing. But it's not just any old God with a little g. Okay? It makes a difference which God you serve. It must be the true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God who is the Father of all creation, the one who spoke the worlds into existence. How fanatical is that? That is the God whom we serve. That is the God whom we worship. That is the God who has blessed our nation and others who will also identify with him and worship and serve him. Part of that is a natural consequence of a God-centered worldview. 
as you identify with the God of Scripture, you by nature uh, kind of carry out at least some of the principles of the Scriptures. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But those principles establish or bring about what I call a natural consequence of our actions. There are some things that you will do that you can do that just make life better. Right? Honoring the marriage vows, for one thing. Living a life of consecration. Uh, we could go on and on. Listen, there are so many areas, folks, I can't try to pin them down because I'd miss yours. And then you'd wiggle out scot-free, and I don't want that. All right? That's not our purpose. What I want you to understand is some of, the, some of the blessing comes because of a natural outworking of identifying with God. and identifying with God, I'm identifying with the character of God. There are some, therefore, there are some things that I do. There are some things that I don't do. And in, in practicing those things, God says, listen, there are reasons why I warn you against sin. Sin leads to destruction. If you'll stay away from those things, then you will go to blessing rather than destruction. There's natural consequence, but then the other part, and I believe in great part, it's due to the direct blessing of God. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. God himself pours out upon such a nation his direct blessings. He blesses them. He causes them to expand. He causes them to prosper and grow. And it's not through anything that they have done. It's just God working in them. So our position of blessedness is because of our identification with God. But I also have to say, very sadly, that it has happened unto us, as it has happened in the history of mankind. You understand, since Adam, man has always been rebellious against the Lord. Since Adam decided that he was going to be his own God, or he was going to try to follow his own way, and forsook the way of God, and fell into sin, and death came upon all men, you understand Romans chapter 5, because of Adam's sin, Praise God for the new Adam, which is Jesus Christ, who liberates us from that sin, right? But in Adam all die. Since Adam, man has been rebellious against the Lord. And it, see, have you ever noticed that in Scripture there's a repeating cycle? Judges is a great place to go to see the cycle. The book of Judges tells us about the recurring blessing of God. God would bless his people Israel. They would begin to serve God, and God would deliver them, and he would set them free, and he would begin to prosper them, and things would start going great. You, you know the story. This is not new to you, right? When things were going great, they thought they were doing it on their own. They kind of became lax about God. They, they said, well, we really don't need God after all. And sometimes they would turn, not sometimes, almost always, they would turn to the false gods, the empty idols of the land, the ones that couldn't even defend their own people, and begin to worship and serve them, and God would have to bring them into a place of chastisement, a place of condemnation, he would bring them into oppression, and they would repent somewhere down the line, usually 20 or 30 years later. Repent and turn back to God, and God would restore them. He would descend and deliver. They would be delivered, and, and they would go on and serve God for a time, and then the whole process start all over again. What I'm trying to say in that is that sometimes prosperity itself, and I, listen, I have to say this very, very carefully, because inevitably somebody's going to misinterpret what I'm trying to say. So listen carefully, if you will. In prosperity, blessed people often turn away from God because of the very blessing which God has bestowed upon them. Psalm 9 and verse 17, the Bible says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and listen, listen, all the nations that forget God. Did you catch that last phrase? They once knew him, but they forgot him. Romans 1 and 2 talks about that. That they knew God, but they've refused to acknowledge Him. They've refused to glorify Him as God. And so God gave them over to a reprobate mind. 
It's a cycle. It's a process. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Bible says this, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. By the way, I'm just going to tell you going in that this is an admonition, this is a warning that God gave to his people Israel. He said, I'm going to give you my law. In keeping my law, you're going to be prospered. But when you're prosperous, don't forget me. Why do you think God said that? Because he knew them, right? God doesn't ever put anything in the Bible just because. So remember that. If God warns you against something, it's because he knows your nature. He knows what you're going to do. And sure enough, God put it there in black and white, and they forgot him anyway. And so verse 12, he says, Lest thou when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thy house is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So the warning to the people of Israel was, be careful, beware, lest in the hour of your prosperity you forget me. I would say that the same warning needs to be sounded forth in our nation today. There's no denying that the United States of America for a time has been the wealthiest nation on earth. Folks, it goes beyond that. One of the wealthiest nations in history, that includes ancient Babylon and ancient Rome. Why? Because God has blessed us. But the danger is that we become lifted up in pride because of our prosperity. We begin to look around us. Now listen, this is a trap that a lot of us as God's people fall into. We sit in our church house or we sit out there in our, in our homes, we're secure in the Lord, we're trusting in Him, and praise the Lord we are. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that in just a moment. But uh, the important thing is we're trusting in God, we're resting in Him here. But our tendency is, as we go forth from these places, we look around us and we see this guy over here, and man, he's got three houses, and he's got Rolls Royces sitting in every garage, you know, and, and he's got a boat in every marina in the area. Now that may be a stretch, it may be an exaggeration, but you understand what I'm saying? We see in a guy that, man, he's got everything that heart could desire as far as what money can buy. And sometimes we fall into the trap that the psalmist himself, David, fell into. He began to look around at the wicked, and he's saying, Lord, that guy's got more than I've got. How does that work? Right? Now, understand, that's a paraphrase, okay? <laughs> that's, my, that's my take on what David is saying. But go with me, if you would, to Psalm 73, verse 3. David says, for I was envious at the foolish. Now remember, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So when the Bible uses the word foolish, he's not just talking about silliness. He says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the rest of Psalm 73, now thankfully, at the end of Psalm 73, David gets his head on straight and his heart in right. And he gets things right with God. But, uh, but the point is that one of the tendencies that we have is we can begin to think that God is somehow unfair because the wicked are apparently doing so well. Now, let, let, me, let me show you where I'm trying to apply this this morning, folks. If we're not very, very careful, 
we're not paying attention to the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in us, we can look at the circumstances and the situation around us on a national level, and if things are going pretty well economically, and things are not going into the tank as far as on a world scene and whatsoever, then we can begin to think, you know what, maybe the way they're doing it is okay after all. Because after all, it's working. And we forget that it is only God. God who brings prosperity. God who brings blessing. And any other kind of prosperity is that kind which maketh itself wings and flieth away. We think that God is somehow unfair because the wicked are apparently doing so well, forgetting that wealth is not necessarily an indication of God's blessing. Listen, folks, if all it takes is a Rolls Royce to get you distracted from serving God and to destroy you as an instrument for God's use, don't you think the devil can give you a Rolls Royce? Sure he can. He's got a bunch of them out there. The point is, material prosperity isn't necessarily an indication that God's blessing us on you. We forget that the world is like, uh, that this world is likely all that they and the world will have. And so if they've got something now, they better enjoy it because it's only going to last for a little while. James says our life's even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. First John tells us that the, the, the things of this world are like the grass that the, wither, that the sun withereth. And so, yeah, they may have something now, but it's not going to last for long. I've often told you that the difference between trash and treasure is about five years. Right? So the blessing, the material blessing of God is something that we need to rejoice in but not look to as our dependence, if you will. The corollary that I don't have time to preach this morning is that we're not to have our affections tied to this world. I do want to read the passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and so forth. Uh, the Bible talks about where our affections are supposed to be. James tells us that our affections are not to be placed on the things of this world. As I say, I don't have time to preach that message this morning. But I want you to understand that just because we are prosperous, folks, listen, this, this, is the, this is the encapsulation of all that I've said to this point. Just because America is prosperous does not necessarily mean that, where we're supposed to be, that we are where we're supposed to be as, uh, uh, as far as God is concerned. Okay? And you have to understand that the prosperity that we may or may not be experiencing at the moment is only for a little while anyway. Same time, personal prosperity, not on a national level, but on an individual level, often brings pride and in that self-reliance. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, Remove far from me vanity. Solomon prayed, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee. By the way, this came to pass with Solomon. He became one of the wealthiest men on earth. And in doing so, he denied God. So lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. The essential point here is we trust in God to take care of our needs. We don't. By the way, can I just give this out to you for free? The government's not God. 
God provides for us. And we don't depend on anyone or anything else but God. And I'll preach that sermon one of these days. Let me get down to the point. To restore greatness, bring back a reverence for God. It's been said that this is a post-Christian nation. May I be honest with you? I pray to God that's not true. That is my earnest prayer. Because if it's post-Christian, then it's post-America. It's done. It's just a matter of time. Because God is the one who has blessed us. Moving on. Second factor of greatness. And obviously I'm not going to get to all these this morning. Maybe I'll hit them fast, okay? Second factor for for greatness is the concept of good. You've got the direct blessing of God, and then you've got a concept of what is truly good and what is truly evil. Can you believe I said that word out loud? Did you know that there still is such a thing as evil? Psalm 33, go back if you would please to verse 15. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in the famine. God is paying attention to the hearts of His people where they are as far as goodness is concerned. Proverbs 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Any people. Psalm 107, verses 33 and 34, the Bible says, He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into a dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Now let me translate this for you. God says the reason there are deserts, the reason there the rivers uh, have been dried up and become a wilderness, the reason why the water springs have become dry ground, the reason why the fruitful land is now barren is because the blessing of God has been withdrawn because of the wickedness of the people that dwell therein. This applies to the people of Israel. It applies to all the nations of the world. What I'm trying to tell you is we need to get back to a place of respect for God's moral law. Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 through 8, Keep therefore, there, keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Can I pause here and say there was a time when people thought that about the United States of America. This is a wise and understanding people. I'm going to leave it right there. Verse 7, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? What was it that made Israel great? Well, it was the acknowledgement of God as their only blesser. It was also an acknowledgement of the moral principles of God's law. In other words, understanding that the statutes of God are given for a reason. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. So in encapsulated form, the reason Israel is special is because of their God and because of his law. Because of the moral principles of the Word of God. There's a statement, a declaration, a quote, if you will, been attributed variously to John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan and others before them, an unknown source. 
It says America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. Don't know who actually said it to begin with, but the principle came from the Word of God. The reason God has blessed us is because in the beginning we acknowledge God, but also because in acknowledging Him, we adapted the character of God and the moral principles that established our land. Hearing and doing God's Word brings an automatic blessing to individuals and groups of individuals. That is, if we hear and do God's Word, then God will bless our homes and God will bless our churches. And in blessing our homes and churches, God will also bless our nation, our communities, and our nation. While at the same time, departure from God's moral law will bring a lifting of that blessedness. I'll not go so far as to say a curse, although I believe that there are certainly uh, indications in Scripture that that's the case. But by all means, a lifting of the blessedness. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, well, let me read Psalm 107, verses 33 and verses 34. We read this a moment ago. He turneth the rivers into a wilderness, the water springs into a dry ground, faith, a fruitful land and bar- a barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. So I'm reminding you that it's because of the wickedness of the people. Why do people turn away unto wickedness? There are many reasons for it. Obviously, we don't have the time to go into all of that. But let me just mention a couple of them, okay? The first one is because judgment delayed brings a callousness to our souls. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11 says this, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. In essence, we would, we would understand God's judgment a little bit better if every time we step... Listen, there are some people who believe that God is this way, and we've talked about this before. God, God sets a line for us to walk. And a lot of people think, okay, God's sitting up there in heaven on his rocking chair with a hammer in his hand. And he's watching us walk the line. We're all on our own to walk the line. But if we kind of stumble off the line, God's got this big hammer, and he'll bop us beside the head to get our attention, to get us back on the line. Okay? Now listen, that's not God. God deals with his people in justice, in righteousness, and in mercy. And we thank the Lord for that, and the witness of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, it is true that God has said, this is the way, walk ye in it. He's given us the moral principles, the character of himself, in which we're to live, and he's given us the warning of what's going to happen if we don't. And sometimes because God doesn't bop us on the head every time we step off the line, we think it's okay. Now, I'm talking in general terms here, okay? It's like, okay, well, you know, I did that and I didn't get, didn't get bopped. Any of you ever been a boy? All right, I see a few of you who are here who were, okay? <laughs> Those of us who were boys know how this works, right? Uh, you go as far as you're supposed to go and just a step further. And if mom don't catch you and granny don't get out the switch, then you got away with it and you're good, right? And so now the line is over here, not over there. Now that all works until they catch you. <laughs> and then, you know, the kind of the boy philosophy breaks down. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to make is this is not unique to boys. It's human nature. It's the Adamic nature. And it says as long as God's not bopping me upside the head, then I must be fine. I'm doing good, and I can keep on going the way that I'm going. Listen, folks, how do we know that this is coming about? Just look around you. 
Righteousness is no longer considered righteousness. Listen, can, can I... Pardon me for being explicit. But do you know that among Christian people today, I'm talking about people that name the name of Jesus Christ, people that go to church every Sunday, and sometimes even Sunday night and Wednesday night. These people, amongst those people, it is considered perfectly acceptable and normal today for a man and wife, to, a woman, man and woman to live together without the benefits of marriage. Now let me ask you something. Did God change his mind? So why, why have we accepted it? Well, because we hadn't been bopped on the head yet. And so people become callous. They become, well, this must be okay. God hadn't, God hadn't slapped us around, so I guess this is where we're supposed to be. Same thing with the murder of the innocents. I could preach that one. I'm not going to take time now, but you understand what I'm talking about. Folks, just because since 1971, uh, millions of unborn babies have been murdered in our country and God's judgment has not fallen yet doesn't mean that it's not going to. We can't become callous in our disobedience. Exodus 8 and verse 15, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. There's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why do people begin to lay aside the moral principles Listen, folks, we are as guilty as the world, unfortunately, because we do some things in our lives. We, we, we stray, if you will, from the principles of righteousness as established in the Word of God. And because we're imme not immediately called to count, sometimes we just continue to go on in the same way. Can I say that because of that, I'm glad. <laughs> and I say this very tongue-in-cheek, but very ser as serious as a heart attack. I am glad when God chastises me then I know I'm loved, then I know that I'm truly his and that he's still on the throne. Sometimes when he doesn't, I get stubborn, and stubbornness always leads to my destruction. There are other things that bring laxity. One of them would be popularity. I don't have time to talk about this morning. Principles are shaded and forsaken by self-justification. People begin to say, well, you know, it's really not so bad because, and you begin to fill in the blanks. You fall into things like situational ethics. You call, fall into things like moral relativism and all those fancy words that basically just means I write my own law, I do my own thing, and I define what's good and what's wrong. Can I tell you, can I remind you, Christian friends, that we do not have that authority? That's God's authority alone. To restore greatness then, and I've left out a lot of this for the second time. I know some of you are hungry. But to restore greatness, the moral character of the people must be changed. How? By political activism? No. What is the only thing that can transform a man's nature? the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Folks, I could go down a whole lot of roads this morning, but I want you to understand this. You who are the faithful at First Baptist Church of Webster this morning, everybody else is gone. You're here. I want you to understand one thing. The politicians will not make a difference in our world. They may make history, but they won't change the course of history. Programs will not change the course of history. Jesus Christ changes the course of history when he transforms a, man nature, a man's nature. You say, well, one person doesn't make a whole lot of difference. And you may or may be right, that's debatable. But if we get out there and do what we're supposed to do, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was going to talk to you this evening about the outreach of grace which is the third principle. We're not going to get time to look at it this morning, but I think, I think you catch where I'm going with this. Listen, the best thing that we can do as God's people to restore greatness to our country, number one, honor God above all. Number two, emphasize the moral principles of the Word of God. And number three, Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Nations have risen and uh, nations have fallen. Peoples have come and gone. There's only one thing that's eternal, and that is the soul of man. And the eternal soul of man, it is dependent upon the blood of Jesus Christ our Savior. Folks, we have the message that can change the world. Why do we do missions? Because we believe we have the message that will change the world. And yet, many times in doing missions, we forget that the mission field starts right outside those doors. I would encourage you this morning to begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to see your neighbor's lives change? You want to see the political system put back on the right track? You want to see goodness restored? I do. The only way it's going to happen is as Jesus Christ is magnified in the people. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. He's died in our place. He's died in our stead. And yet that is a, that's good news that is useless to the world unless they hear it. So I would challenge you in this patriotic time of the year, let's restore really... This is not a political, political slogan this morning, folks. Restore greatness to our nation by returning to the honor of God and God alone. Emphasizing the moral principles of the word of God and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who have not heard. That and that alone will turn this nation around. And guess what? You're the only people on earth that can do it. Will you stand with me, please, with your heads bowed? Father, thank you for bringing us to your house this morning. Thank you for the truths that you've given to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to account for what we've done with Jesus and with the gospel. I pray that we would be faithful. Lord, we love our nation. We really do. We thank you so much for allowing us to be born in a place where we have liberties such as what we have. I thank you for those that have fought and died to grant us those liberties and to maintain them throughout our history. 
Lord, I thank you for godly, godly forefathers, those who believed in you and feared you and believed in the principles of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that many of them were preachers of righteousness, declaring the truth of your word. I pray that you would use us in the same fashion. Lord, we know that while there's life, there's hope, and you're not done with us yet because we're still here. So I pray that you draw us to yourself and that in this new year of the anniversary of our nation, we might yet see a return unto you. Oh, Father, our prayer would be the prayer of the prophets of old, revive us again. We might exalt your name and we praise you in Jesus' name.